is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I cannot specifically say that he was one of the ones who assaulted me, but before this happened to me at that party, I saw Brett Kavanaugh there. If Avenatti's got corroborating witnesses, where are they? they? It's been a week, and he hasn't put a single one forward. Not a one. And he didn't know when he was called that his client had had a restraining order on her. He didn't even know that. All he said was, it's all bogus, which that's not going to cut it. People tend to forget this. Everybody knew Trump was going to lose. Well, I'm here to say I think the odds are even money. Election night 2018 will be an even worse shock for the left than 2016 was. I don't think people want open borders. I don't think people want tolerance for fentanyl and opiate deaths. I don't think people want giant tax increases. I don't think people want to see mobs out there running around intimidating and bullying people. Uh, And I think that the Democrats are in a very, very weak position going into the last five weeks. And now, Stacey Washington. (laughs) Welcome back to the show. It's hour two. Hey. I hope you're having a fantastic day. It is so hot here in Missouri. It's it's almost uncomfortable. It's not like it would be uncomfortable if it was the summer. We'd be happy for it to be in the 80s, but it's like supposed to be fall weather. It's supposed to be sweater weather. Sweater weather. Weather for sweaters. And it's not. It's hot, like shorts weather. I wore, you know, kind of like knee-length shorts and, uh, you know, this T-shirt thing today. Like this weird, totally weird. Um Anyway, what are we going to talk about this hour? Well, we are going to be unpacking more of the Kavanaugh news, et cetera, et cetera. And we also have this information about the fiscal year 2018 debt being up another trillion dollars. And I just want to get to uh, Newt Gingrich, who he had a point to make that I think is really important. And and I love that point because I kind of made that same point here on the show. Uh, Differently, but similar vein of thought. And that is what type of America do we want to become? And look, listen, you know, I'm all about everybody having their own feelings and freedom and liberty and the First Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. But when your freedoms and liberties and your thoughts start infringing on my rights and start coming over here into my little backyard and you start pushing your way into my my area, that's when I'm going to have to put the brakes on and, you know, let you know that you can just sally on forth do you do the things that only impact you stop trying to put your garbage in my garbage cans right i i don't need your trash i got enough of my own trash and i don't want you spreading your trash all over my good stuff that i've already cleaned up i don't want your stuff at all to be quite honest i have enough problems of my own that i'm working through by the grace of god i'm getting you know just we all you know what i'm talking about i we don't have to go into detail you know what i'm saying we all have our own fish to fry stop putting your you know, your fish heads and your and all that stuff over my on my side. I don't need it. I have enough of my own. And that's what I see happening here is a bunch of people who have ruined their marriages, angry women, you know, women that don't shave their armpits and their legs, women who really they don't have two brain synapses firing together because they're emotionally compromised. They haven't read their Bibles. They've been to church and I don't know how long. They don't know how to live victoriously. Their lives are in shambles, multiple divorces, kids with everybody and their grandpa. You know, nobody has the same dad and all of that going on. 
and they're feminists and they're trying to make life work and they're trying to make a, a, a life for a woman in America that's against women and they're trying to battle the misogyny and they, they, they don't know anything about joy, peace, happiness, being able to just live and enjoy what God has given to us. They can't even approach that. They're too busy being triggered, mad as all get out, constantly focusing on, well, I have a permanent tan. I know I'm oppressed. I woke up this morning feeling so oppressed and the inequality, it's just crushing me. Yeah, you know why inequality is crushing you? Because you can't think. You're literally emotionally compromised to the point of being unable to process normal thoughts. You can't even make good decisions for yourself. And now these people, with their shambles of lives, they're completely just destroyed. Everything's just garbage. You wouldn't trade life with them. If somebody paid you a million dollars, you'd be like, nope, I'll just stick here with what I got. I don't want to live as that person for even a minute, let alone a whole year or a month. No way. Those people, people who have, they're not winning in their own lives. They're not winning at life. They're not winning at work. Now they want to come tell the rest of us who are working hard and have some level of success in our lives, how we're supposed to live. That Men should just be quiet and do better. What about the millions of men who are doing well, who've never sexually assaulted anyone, who are raising God-fearing sons, who are literally doing everything they can to honor and protect women? What about those guys? Same thing. Well, everyone just needs to. We're not, we're not any different than animals. We need to satisfy our sexual urges because that's what animals do and that's what we do. Well, speak for yourself if that's how you want to live. But for those of us who understand that we are made in the image of God and that the destruction of marriage and family and the traditional family unit is an attack on the Godhead because marriage is created in the image of God, three persons in one, the three people in a marriage are God and the man and the woman. The reason why Satan wants to destroy it is because it is the vehicle by which God can operate on this earth, a godly household unit going out those arrows, those quivers, the arrows in the quiver going out and hitting their mark because they're coming out of a godly Christian home. That's what Satan wants to destroy. And so for people who are talking about this, well, we just got this so much, you know, liberty and we need to be liberated. Liberate yourself from those really poorly thought out ideas and come join the rest of us over here where we, we're actually making a couple things happen by the grace of God. Hello. We're doing a few things over here. And your unhappiness and poorly thought out and executed life are really a hindrance to us. No wonder you're so mad. You don't know what you're doing. That's what that's all about. So you got Newt Gingrich. He says, what type of America do we want to become? It's number one. Look, I, I think it's pretty clear if, if people are honest and they look at folks like Senator Booker saying you're complicit with evil if you're for Kavanaugh. Uh, they look at uh, Senator Hunro saying men should shut up. Uh, they, they look at uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters saying hunt them down wherever they are, go into restaurants, go into gas stations, drive them off the street. Uh, you, have, you have two different patterns here. Uh, and, the, and the real question in the 2018 election is going to be what kind of America do we want to become? The left, I, I don't care what the FBI comes up with. If the FBI comes out and says there is zero evidence that, God, that Judge Kavanaugh did anything wrong, the Democrats will probably say, are already shifting to, well, what about drinking? What about this? What about that? Uh, I think that you have to recognize they're engaged in a search and destroy mission, as Lindsey Graham said the other day. It's deliberate. It's not an accident. It's not a game. 
They want power. As, as President Lincoln warned in his Cooper Union address, they want rule or ruin. And if they have to ruin the entire system, they are prepared to ruin it. And you're living through it. And I think Republicans have got to get, get awake and understand this is not some game. And it's not because Senator Schumer is confused. It is a deliberate, vicious, willful character assassination. And if you're okay with it happening to Judge Kavanaugh, then you must be okay with it happening to your son. And please miss me with that whole Bill Cosby. Just, just stop. Just stop. Okay? So here he comes back, Newt Gingrich. And it was a pretty long interview, actually, but he's so good at doing those. And, and by the way, if you know any of Newt Gingrich's staff or if you know Mr. Gingrich himself, former Speaker Gingrich, we want to have him on the show. I'm I'm not making intentionally a pouty face, but I'm feeling a little miffed. Uh, Speaker Gingrich, please join us on the show. We'd love to talk to you. Um, So here he is. He's talking about Republicans need to come out very clearly. And I appreciate this message coming from him because I know actual Republicans in charge are, you know, hopefully listening to him. He's he's a he's a national figure of importance. He makes a great point here in number two. I think it's very straightforward. The, the, the 2018 election is about which America do we want to become? Do we want to be an America where people rush into your restaurant, invade your personal space? Do we want to be an America where people can be smeared and destroyed uh, on totally unsubstantiated behavior? Do we want to be an America in which the government is used as a weapon to make you change your life? That's what that's what the left is. So you're going to have a, a choice. And you see this this morning, by the way, in the great news about the deal with Mexico and Canada. You have a results oriented team led by Trump and you have a resistance oriented team led by Pelosi and Schumer. And Republicans ought to draw this line very clearly. They ought to say, for example, we're trying to protect our children from fentanyl and opioid deaths. The Democrats don't care about it. They're willing to have a totally open border, even if that means more fentanyl and more opioid deaths. We have to be as blunt and as emotional and as direct as our Democratic opponents, or they're frankly going to run over us. And when we talk about lawlessness, that this is what we're talking about here, that one party is advocating for the abdication of the rule of law not just at the border anymore. Now we see that it's no longer okay to say, well, I'm innocent until proven guilty. So bring your proof. And I'm going to get my attorney to bring the proof that I'm innocent. That's not good enough anymore. Now it's, well, women have to be believed if they're Democrats and you're a Republican. So, you know, it's, it's like, do they not see that we can see through that? I know there are millions of people out there who can't. Good, sweet people who honestly believe that just because a woman says Something happened to her. We have to believe her if the person she's accusing is a Republican. They actually believe that. They don't care if it doesn't make any sense. They don't care if it could happen to their husband, father, brother, or son. They just care about winning this one time. You ever heard somebody, I just need to do this this one time. That's the devil, and he is a liar. You do it the one time, then next time you'll need to do it again. And you'll need to keep doing it. And you'll need to keep doing it. That's how you get trapped. Just need to do it this one time. It won't matter if I do it just this once. Don't be deceived. That's what this is about. So I I found this other piece of McConnell, Leader McConnell. He was in rare form again on the floor of the Senate 
talking about the Democrats moving the goalposts, saying their goalposts keep shifting, but their goal, the actual goal, hasn't moved an inch. It's number six. The confirmation process for Judge Brett Kavanaugh, one of the most qualified and most impressive Supreme Court nominees in our nation's history, is moving forward. On Friday, the Judiciary Committee reported this nomination favorably. Then here on the floor, we officially moved to take up the nomination. Every Republican member of the committee agreed that Judge Kavanaugh should be reported out with a favorable recommendation and every Democrat voted in opposition. Their goalposts keep shifting, but their goal hadn't moved an inch, not an inch. The goal's been the same all along. And so let me make it very clear. The time for endless delay and obstruction has come to a close. Judge Kavanaugh's nomination is out of committee. We're considering it here on the floor. And Mr. President, we'll be voting this week. And again, so, so he might have thrown a beer on somebody in college. What else you got? You know, just put it to a vote up or down. I know there's a certain level of energy that is going on with this thing that it's on both sides of the political aisle. But I just encourage you to truly just, first of all, devote yourself to making sure that you got that prayer time every day that you're asking God for his guidance on what you should do. Cause it, it's, it's in all areas of our life, which means it also includes how we vote and you're going to maybe not be so excited about what God has to say. I remember a time in my life where I just knew I was right politically and that everything that I was doing was perfectly in line with what a Christian should do. And then God showed me otherwise. And you got to be open to that correction. And also to speak the truth in love, we've got to be cognizant of the fact that we're trying to get along with each other. Saying that for myself as much as I am for you. Um, It's hard, but we've got to make that effort to do that. When we get back, we're going to be talking about the scope of the FBI investigation into Kavanaugh, and we'll take some calls as well. Stay right there. Stacy on the right. Call lines are open. 866-963-2037. <laughs> Be right back. Meet Roxy, nurse director for the Preborn Clinic in Southern California. I have this lady, and she came and she was very scared. Boyfriend didn't want her to have a baby, and she said, I don't want this baby. We provided an ultrasound. She was laying on a table, and there it was. It was a small baby. Then she heard the heartbeat. She heard the heartbeat, and she said, well, you know, it's alive. After hearing the heartbeat, she made a decision that she was going to keep her baby. She also made a decision that day to recommit herself to Jesus. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country, helping abortion-minded mothers to choose life for their unborn babies. To find out more about how you can help save a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 
and say baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Every time a major hurricane hits the American coastline, we are sure to hear more claims that the devastation is due to global warming. Reporters and politicians argue that the Earth's changing climate is fueling these supercharged storms and destroying our coastal areas. Fortunately, Dr. Roy Spencer is providing some perspective to the hyperbole and fear-mongering that surface with each tropical storm or hurricane. If you look at two graphs he has put together, you can see how hurricane damage has increased, even though storm intensity has slightly decreased. Let me take the second point first. He shows that hurricane intensity since the 1930s and 1940s has decreased. The correlation line trends slightly downward, even though we've had some significantly intense storms from time to time. And it's worth mentioning that until 2017, the United States went 11 years without a major hurricane strike. But you may be thinking that is fine, but what about the devastating hurricanes like Katrina, Sandy, and Harvey? When measured in terms of billions of dollars of damage, those were obviously severe but also significant outliers. The cost was huge for two reasons, increased population and an increase in the amount of valuable and vulnerable infrastructure in coastal areas. When Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina, few in the media reminded us that the last major hurricane to hit North Carolina was Hurricane Fran in 1996. That was 22 years ago. None of this is meant to minimize the devastating impact that hurricanes can have on coastal areas. We need to do all we can to protect people before a hurricane hits and immediately provide assistance to victims after a hurricane passes. But let's stop blaming climate change for these hurricanes. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Um, I think I'm satisfied. We don't know uh, all the details yet, but clearly if they have been given free reign to interview whomever they want, then that's a very good sign. The last thing we want is a sham investigation. I also think that there's a fairly small universe of witnesses here and a very big FBI. So yes, I think they probably should be able to uh, get this done by Friday if they really uh, put the effort into it. (laughs) Yes, well, that's what's happening. The investigation is moving on. It's also, they're also investigating Diane Feinstein in her office and whether or not they leaked the information that was supposed to be kept confidential on behalf of Christine Blasey Ford. Oh, they're investigating a lot of different things. And it's as it should be. If we're going to have the FBI step in and do some investigating, they might as well investigate the circumstances surrounding everything that we've seen because this circus has got to, it's a ride that has to be stopped. People want off. And while they're actually exiting the ride, we should be made aware of exactly how this all started. What were the processes that went on? What were the communications? Um, why? Why was it made in this way? In such a way that it completely just, it goes against everything we've said we believe in that we want to happen uh, in, in a confirmation process. And I'd be saying that if it was on the Republican side as well. If, if Republicans were bringing up allegations at the last minute and dragging out the process, I wouldn't be on, on board with that. There has to be, there have to be standards. Uh, there have to be. There's, there's, there's just no, it's not okay. 
for there to be no standards. So let's talk about this debt. We've got in fiscal year 2018, debt is up by well over a trillion dollars. The Fed's borrowed $8,172 for every American who had a job. I mean, it's just so shameful. So shameful. Now, we started the year with $20 trillion in debt, and we ended the year with $21 trillion in debt. So it's the eighth fiscal year in the last 11 in which the debt increased by at least $1 trillion in a fiscal year. The United States saw its greatest fiscal year increase in the federal debt in fiscal year 2009, That year, the debt increased by almost $2 trillion, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that there are 155,542,000 workers in the United States as people with jobs, which means that that well over $21 trillion in debt equaled approximately $138,330 for every person in the country who works. Now, I don't know about you. But 138,000, that's not a number I can pay. That's not a number I want to put on installments like a mortgage. I'm not interested in paying that. No way, no how. I'm not only not interested in paying it, I wish there was a way that we could figure out who was directly responsible for this debt and apportion it out to those people because I bet you anything, they would cut their budgets and they'd reduce things down. They would make the changes occur so that they wouldn't be responsible for that debt. Isn't that how it works? Have you ever just been sitting in your living room or having lunch with a friend out someplace and someone walked up to you and said, I just borrowed $60,000 and I don't want to pay it back and then handed you the bill and said it's now your responsibility and walked away? That is what our elected officials have been doing. When we say cut, had the Tea Party movement, which everybody said was about racism, which was very convenient Call it racism, and then nobody has to ask, well, why do they want to reduce taxes? Why do they want to reduce the size of government? Why? Well, if people had asked that and listened for five seconds, they would have heard that, first of all, Planned Parenthood doesn't need any of our money. USAID dollars, all of it should be dried up. Yes, I said all of it. All of it. I believe Rand Paul is right on that. We can't help our allies by borrowing to to give them money. Let them borrow their own money if they need it. We shouldn't borrow it to give to them. We have every Tom, Dick, and Jenny with their hands stuck out, and we're just putting money in it like we have all the money in the world. And I know that one of the things that we've seen with with President Trump is he's gone around and he's made it like the UN. He's been putting a smack down there saying, you guys need to up your funding. You need to share it, share the load. He's gone around to our trade deals, our trade partners, and said, we, we can't have this transfer of wealth because that's what it is. And we have these huge deficits with these other nations. It's a transfer of wealth. He, President Trump has said, we, no more. Now, because people don't like President Trump, they feel it's okay to, you know, well, I just don't agree with that. So you're telling me that if you didn't like me, but I knew the secret to eliminating all of your debt within three years, let's say, including your mortgage, you wouldn't take that information from me because you don't like me? That's the equivalent of saying we don't want Donald Trump to renegotiate our trade deals because we don't like him. I didn't like Barack Obama. I didn't hate him, but I didn't like him. But if he had been doing things that were good for us on the foreign policy front, 
I would have happily golf clapped that and said, look, that, that's good stuff right there. I thought the mentorship programs he set up for young adults in uh, going from high school to college, and he set those up with professionals, and those were things that were sponsored by the White House. Um, it's like the faith and such and so-and-so office at the White House, and he started those programs through there. And when I found out about them, I talked about them on the radio, and I said they were good. If there was something good that he did, I definitely appreciated it because, I mean, he was the president. It would have been better for me and for Americans in general had he been better at that job. So same token with President Trump. I can't help but be excited to hear that he's going to stop the transfer of wealth from Americans to foreign individuals by stopping them from stealing our intellectual property and stopping them from having huge amounts of their products dumped on our market for cheap while they won't sell any of our stuff in their country. That's how China is. So, you know, just back up off of the Trump derangement Kool-Aid for five seconds and admit that a booming economy in which everyone is employed, everyone who wants a job has a job, is such a better situation than stagflation, you know, stagnant, stagnated growth uh, on our GDP, you know, huge trade deficits and an overall malaise that impacts other nations which allows the growth of, of terrorist groups like ISIS. The other reason why ISIS is being crushed under our feet? Well, you heard it yesterday from Eric Trump. Because Donald Trump said, um, I don't know much about the military except that I think you guys are wicked awesome. But I'm not going to, you know, argue with you about whether or not you should use the mother of all bombs or if you should use, you know, 20 Patriot missiles. I just, I, I'm not exactly up to speed on that as well I probably shouldn't be, never served the military. So what I think you should do is, you know, under the advisement of those who are experts at making war, you should make war in a way that helps us to win. So go, go do what you do best. And look what's happened. They've completely crushed ISIS. None of this fighter pilots calling in to the Situation Room at the White House to find out if it's okay if they release their payload. Do you know that was going on during the Obama administration? Pilots who, by any definition of the word, are geniuses. They have a fast, twitchy reflex muscle that it's, it must be present in order for you to be a pilot. So it's something that every, every person doesn't have this. It's a special a gifting, if you will, that they have, which means they're able to respond to stimuli faster than regular people. Not that we aren't fast or we ain't cool, whatever, but they, they have this special thing. And so that coupled with high intellect and them making the proper choices in high school and college lines them up to be fighter pilots. So they have the natural gifting. They have the educational background. They have the training from the U.S. military, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Navy, etc. And then they go out and they know the rules of engagement, all of the different reasons why they would or wouldn't do a mission in a certain way. And so their commander is telling them to go out and do X. But under the Obama administration, instead of them just being able to fly that sortie, drop their payload if they felt so inclined, and come back to report on what they, what they did, they'd have to actually be in the air flying, you know, quite a bit faster than your average jet that takes you to and from, you know, New York to Miami, let's say. They'd have to actually have it radioed in 
report the conditions that they saw, and then have someone in the Situation Room at the White House say, yeah, this isn't a good one for us. Just come back. Burning up JP8 and, and just, you know, whatever. It's okay. We got the money. We just burn up jet fuel and waste our pilots' time and, uh, and increase their level of frustration because they're out there to do a job, but they can't do it because some suit wearer in the White House thinks it's not a good day to drop missiles on the enemy. That's the kind of tomfoolery that we had to put up with with our military under the previous administration. Now contrast that with what's going on now. It's what are your rules of engagement? Who is in the chain of command who can give the authority, the actual go ahead to fly that sortie and carry out this mission? Go. The president gets the reports later. And then if there are security briefings that need to be had based on intel and et cetera that has been gathered on these missions, then the president is briefed on that. And if changes or conversations need to be had, those are had. But actual operational conditions and the expertise of those who are in command over those fighter pilots are the ones who make the decisions about what they're going to do to make war. The difference in those two scenarios cannot be overstated. In one scenario, you have the U.S. military, which is the finest operational military force on the face of this planet. The only one that compares is Israel's military. And you have these experts. They're not just experts because they've been to war college. They've been on the ground. They've fought wars. They've fought with their hands war. They've killed enemies and come home to talk about it. Those individuals are the ones who should make the decisions about actions that are taken in theater, not pencil pushers back in D.C. Yes, the president is the commander in chief of the military, but it doesn't mean he gets to decide what side your hat is going to be removed from your head when you go into the chow facility and who's going to fly what missions and et cetera like that. That is not the purview of the executive in chief. that's what we had going on. And that's just one example. And so I'm, this isn't about loving Donald Trump or liking him. It's about acknowledging when someone is able to accomplish a feat like crushing ISIS and acknowledging that that's good for us. It's good for Americans. It reduces terrorism. It saves lives in the Middle East. It keeps our troops and soldiers safe. They're not being kidnapped and ransomed and beheaded. And that's just one example of where President Trump is doing a good job. And so you're, this isn't about feelings. It's not about permanent tan, no permanent tan. It's not about ethnicity or inequality. It's about who does a, a better job. And we've all been there. We've all worked with someone who, you know, they're just not the people person that we wish they would be. They're not going to be the one that we call up in the evening and say, I'm watching, um, I'm watching Poldark. Do you want to come over? <laughs> it's not that person. But that person has the expertise and does a fantastic job at what they do at work. And you're thinking, mm, I wouldn't, I'd rather not have anyone else do that job. And sometimes that's, that's the situation. I, I haven't found that often for myself. Most of the time, the people that I work with, I've been like, hey, I like, you know, I like, I like my coworkers. 
But if you do encounter a person like that who's really good at what they do, is it is it more important for you to like them or to get rid of that person and find someone that you like, someone who looks good in a suit, someone who's, you know, like your favorite orator, someone who's cool on the late night TV shows? Or is it more important to have someone there who actually knows what they're doing? I don't need a friend in the White House. I need someone who actually knows what they're doing. Because the decisions that the commander in chief makes, these these things impact all of us. And so it doesn't matter who goes on what late night shows, because those are just that's nothing. What matters is that the person can do a good job and that they want to do a good job, that they want to be effective more than they want to be liked. Or, you know, that more than they want to be friends with the rest of us. So. Over the break, remember first hour I talked about Night School, the movie that we went to go see that I found so disappointing. And I think it's our, um, it's our call screener who pointed out to me that there's a website that you can go to before you head out to the theater so that you're not kind of blindsided because I just looked at the rating and the actors who were in the film and thought, okay, this is probably going to be pretty good. The website is called movieguide.org. And on there, you just type the name of the movie into the search bar and it will, um, you know, pull it up for you. And they also have an app called Family Night that you can put up in um, the on your on your phone where you can find movies for, you know, a movie a week that you want to watch with your family. So I'm going to try that later. But the rating on night school, it says hit and miss comedy with a heart, language, heavy violence, light. Sex, light, nudity, moderate. Quality, three stars out of four. Content, negative two, extreme caution, which would have prompted us not to go. Um, it says the audience is older teenagers and adults. Runtime, 111 minutes. And in here, they actually have a summary of the movie and then a review, which can give you some spoilers, um, but it's probably pretty good for parents especially if you're prepping for you know your kids are like we want to go see this as a group you know teens do that a lot they'll get together go eat a little something and then go to the movies and you can then decide if if you feel it's something that's appropriate for them and I got I gotta say it's uh it's it's one of those things where you know your kids are eventually going to be out on their own they're going to be watching whatever they want but you want to guide them while they're still in the home and when you have you know, a miss like this movie was for us. It's a teachable moment, but in the end, we still want to, you know, we want to prevent them from consuming this kind of content. So it's movieguide.org. And uh, thanks so much to our call screener on Stacey on the Right Show for sharing that with us. All right, when we get back, we'll be listening to even Wolf Blitzer from CNN calling out Diane Feinstein. Stay there. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Lauren and I have seven children between the ages of 2 and 26, children at all stages of development. I can tell you from experience that children are always precious, but they can be trying sometimes. Therefore, we have to create consequences for them, consequences that are part of a system of discipline that sets up parameters and guidelines of what is and what is not acceptable behavior. Otherwise, chaos ensues. Behavior potentially worsens as they continue to defy the rules. It may be painful at the time, 
but it is necessary for their health and well-being. In the same way, it's no fun when the Lord disciplines you, but He's doing it for your good. New York Times best-selling author, Tony Dungy. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. This week during our uh, family worship time together, uh, when we turned to the scripture, I was sharing with my family and we were discussing the scripture that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And I was explaining the whole caterpillar to cocoon to butterfly process. My son said, he's six years old, daddy, daddy, I get it. it it's it's we're, the, we're like the caterpillars. God provides the cocoon and God's desire all along is even though we're in caterpillar form, is for us to become butterflies. And then look what he said. But you know when we get into trouble, Daddy? When we try to move from caterpillar to butterfly and we skip over God. And when you try to skip over God, you think you have your wings, but you fall flat. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. And I had to tell you, I had to fight back tears in the moment because I'm saying, oh Lord, he, he's getting this. From America's election headquarters. Missouri Republican Senate candidate Josh Hawley made it to the national spotlight last week when he appeared at a President Trump rally in Springfield, Missouri. Let's make America great again. Thank you so much. God bless you. And speaking of God, religion has become something of an issue in this Senate race. Hawley, the state's attorney general, favors the repeal of a federal amendment that outlaws political endorsements by religious organizations. It's known as the Johnson Amendment. A church could lose its tax-exempt status if it makes an endorsement. And Hawley says the Johnson Amendment punishes churches and their pastors. Hawley is locked in a tight race with the incumbent Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill. She's in favor of keeping the Johnson Amendment. Hawley will speak this week at a chapel service at a Baptist university in Hannibal, Missouri. If an endorsement from the pulpit comes, it could spark a legal challenge of the Johnson Amendment. Anna Eliopoulos, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Senator Schumer, the Democratic leader, the minority leader in the Senate, he wants the FBI formally brief the Senate, all the members, before there's a final vote on the Senate floor. Uh, do you support that, or would a document, a written report from the uh, FBI, based on all their uh, questions and answers, all, all their background check information, would that be adequate? Well, if the normal procedure would have been for all of this to have been done, including the FBI report completed, before before the initial hearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Well, that's not being done. In fact, the Judiciary Committee has already voted this out. So I think Senator Schumer is absolutely right to say that the, the relevant body now is the United States Senate itself, and they should be fully briefed on the FBI. Well, there report. would have been a formal investigation if uh, the ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee, Dianne Feinstein, would have alerted the FBI in confidence about this problem, but she kept it quiet. Yeah, so that's Wolf Blitzer actually doing the job of a journalist by making the point that had the Democrats followed proper procedure, not not only would this have been completely investigated, but they would have had the ability to question Dr. Ford and keep her confidential. So if they found it credible, so be it. If they found it not credible, so be it. It would not have been an issue for her and her family. 
And it also would have saved the Kavanaugh family from the just relentless media assault that they've been under. It's just, I mean, it's, there's no way to describe how uh, absolutely uncouth and ridiculous this whole scenario has been. There are procedures in place to make sure that it doesn't have to be this way, but those procedures were eschewed in favor of a political win. It's disgusting. So that was Wolf Blitzer calling out Dianne Feinstein. And then you have Megyn Kelly questioning the credibility of the Abenaki-backed accuser. And I thought this piece was really good because she brings up some points that, well, you know, she's she's a lawyer. So and not she wasn't like out in, in, you know, very rural areas doing legal work. She was doing legal work as a prosecutor in a major metropolitan area. And so she's still very sharp in this in this uh, topic area. So it's number four. This is the one who claims she I'm not sure she wants to be was the victim of an alleged gang rape that that Kavanaugh did not participate in. But she says she allegedly claims he was at a party where where one happened. And and it's emerged from various reporting this weekend. She faced allegations of her own misconduct during a stint at a Portland company 18 years ago. That company claims she told them she graduated from Johns Hopkins, but they learned the school had no record of her. She also falsely described her work experience at a prior employer. They said she engaged in unwelcome sexually offensive conduct herself. They said she made false and retaliatory allegations against her coworkers that they had been inappropriate with her. They said she took medical leave and simultaneously claimed unemployment benefits. At the same time in D.C., there was a restraining order filed against her by an ex-boyfriend who claims she harassed him, his wife, and their baby. I could go on. So the people who are very upset that the FBI is not looking into Julie Swetnick's allegations, there are reasons for that. So while we're sitting here having the show and listening to that, there's this uh, second round of a political hit job. They call it a treasure trove of documents that they've gotten, personal documents, family documents uh, from the Trump family, from Fred Trump, who, uh, you know... They've gotten these documents. Who knows how they got them? And they're now releasing them. And people are tweeting about it and saying that there's this fraud and there's that fraud. If there was some kind of fraud, would not the IRS have already investigated it? This is a total election ploy. This is meant to drag down the president's credibility leading up to the election. And let me just say, if it was, I don't know, Hillary Clinton who'd done some things wrong with taxes or any impropriety at all, the Democrats would say, well, that's in the past. That's not something that's relevant right now. So you know what I'm going to say, don't you? It's irrelevant. I don't care what they found. Irrelevant. Now, obviously, if there were some lives lost or, you know, some allegations like that, that would be different. But anything that the Clintons have obviously been guilty of, that has, they've been given a pass by the Democrats, that same pass extends out magically like a beautiful cape, like a superhero cape made of tinsel with a tad bit of like a splash of polyester and fine cotton. It's a mix. It's a mixed fabric. And it may be dry clean only. We don't know. But it's a cape of okayness. You could call it the okay cape or uh, the cape of irrelevance really the cape of irrelevance let's call it the cape of irrelevance and that cape billows out ever so gently and appropriately with a touch of panache it billows out behind hillary clinton whether she's wearing a house dress or a twelve thousand dollar suit 
and it covers all of the transgressions of the past. It can also whip to the front like a magic cape and cover transgressions that she might do in the future, but for most, most of its usage is, is for the past. And that cape is liberally called upon and fluffed up and sometimes ironed on the corners and the edges and spot cleaned by anyone who proclaims the mantle of being a Democrat. Anything you could say about Hillary Clinton or and now Barack Obama, he's not the president anymore. Well, that's not a scandal. He never had any scandals. He never did anything wrong. Hillary Clinton, she was supposed to be the first woman president and she's not responsible for her husband's behavior. Well, let's apply those same, uh, you know, uh, colloquialisms to Donald Trump and his cape because his cape is just like Hillary Clinton's and it stretches back just as far. And it sounds like this. That's not Donald Trump's fault. He was in business with his father and other family members. That's in the past. See how the cape billows out behind him? Can you see it? Visualize it with me. That same cape of irrelevance just covers all of the things in the past because those things aren't relevant right now because he is the president now and we just only have to do with what started on November 8th of 2016 or more appropriately, actually, the presidency didn't begin until January 20th uh, of 2017. So that's the part that's in front of him. That's the part that's appropriate to discuss. And everything from before, whether it's tax returns or anything else like that, it goes under the cape of irrelevance and just, I don't know what you're talking about. And not only do I not know, I don't care. So if you think that you can address what you call a beam in Donald Trump's eye without first or a speck or a moat or whatever you think he's got going on without first looking at the two 18 wheeler truck sized obstructions that are currently attached to your face. I point you to the cloak of irrelevance. Not only is it irrelevant, but it will not change anything in November. If you think these new releases will have any, uh, any kind of ameliorating effect on voters who have looked at this attempt to, you know, really just pillory Judge Kavanaugh, it's still too fresh and it will remain fresh. You know, there's, it's one thing to say, you know, you're in the political arena and you know, you got to give as good as you get and you know, you put square up, put your dukes up, you know, that whole thing. It's another thing to say, oh, and your wife and your kids are also, they need to square up too. No, I would never be okay with it when it was the Obama's daughters. I wasn't okay with it when it was Chelsea Clinton. She's a grown woman now. She's fair game now because she's in politics. She tweets. She does all that stuff. But when she was a little girl, oh, no. Mm -mm. The Bush daughters, no. It's never okay to make the kids the issue, to attack the kids. Because the kids don't have a choice in what their parents do for a living. And also their kids, hello. So I'm, I'm, you know, whatever you think it is he did, whatever, you know, he made a lot of money, whoop-de-doo. So did the Clintons, um, you know. Whatever you think it might be, there's a cloak for it. It's covered up, and I don't care. So speaking of freedom of religion, in China, Christian school children are forced to tick the no religion box. This goes back to this idea that socialism might be okay for a little bit. 
just a little teensy little bit of it, like saying, let's have a little bit of poison in our cereal this morning. A little bit won't hurt. A little poison. Don't worry. It's just a little bit. More than 300 Christian children in two high schools. This and Again, high schoolers. So these are kids who definitely know they're Christians. They're not small kids. High schools in Zhejiang province, which has been referred to as the Jerusalem of the East for its strong Christian presence. These 300 kids have been asked to fill out a form stating they don't follow a religion. While it's normal for a school to ask parents to fill out a form, which includes questions of faith when a child is first enrolled in school, for many years this hasn't been an issue. Schools in China are government-controlled and financed and therefore teach communism. The Christian children have sometimes faced shaming incidents, but the extent of the shaming was to prevent them from joining Communist Youth League, thereby denying them any of the perks that come with a progression to Communist Party membership later in life. In this case, however, the children were handed a questionnaire for class about faith. That's not normal. This seems to be a part of the new push to identify Christians and pressure them in one way or another. Children in this part of China could write Christian, one, because of their innocence, and two, because they came from families of fervent believers who did not compromise their faith. In the first school, which has about 200 Christian students, the teacher demanded they rewrite the questionnaire stating that they had no religion. But when filling out the next questionnaire, half of the children maintained that they were Christians. So in the end, after being warned again and again and again, all but one child complied and put no religion. In the other school, which has about 100 kids, it was the class prefect who forced the Christians to resubmit their papers stating they had no religion. Now, the goal here is to limit the growth of Christianity, which I don't know if anybody's noticed or not, but the way to limit Christianity is through cultural abrogation. You know, you infect the culture. Limiting it by telling people they can't be Christians has the opposite effect. But I mean, don't anybody tell the Chinese that. So the source for the story told the, uh, the worldwatchmonitor.org that children in China are pressured in a variety of ways. In these cases, it would be using words only. It seems teachers recently were tasked with pressuring children by separating them from other students to counsel or talk to them sternly about the consequences about talking about being a Christian believer at school, urging them to write no religion on their questionnaire. This is for the child's sake and to limit any growth of Christianity amongst young people through evangelism or as simply becoming known as the ones who could answer questions other pupils may have about Christianity. So kids who aren't Christians might have questions about why the other kids are Christians. So to prevent them from asking their classmates, so what is it about Christianity or why are you a Christian? They want all of the kids to say they have no religion. That way, the ones who really do have no religion won't know who to ask if they're interested in getting some. Isn't that insidious? (laughs) So the children who do not comply are reportedly denied access to opportunities at school, such as being elected as class representatives for special events. They could also potentially face the danger of not receiving a leaving certificate from their school, which enables them to attend university. Such incidents are also recorded in the child's personal file, which is held by local government departments, and the information can hamper their future employment. Of course, all of these are hypothetical scenarios and would be determined largely by the level of involvement of the individual school, its teachers and principals. But generally, the sense is... They're biased against Christians. The parents also feel a lot of worry and anxiety for their children's prospects, and they worry that the kids will 
leave the faith because they, they don't want to be left behind and not have opportunities, not be able to go to college. So other stories that are connected to this are in China. Christian summer camps have been closed down and the priests who run them have been dismissed. Children were stopped from entering a church as pressure on Henan's Christians has been increased. And the head of religious affairs, a communist section of the communist government, warns of domination by foreign forces because that's what they worry about, that Americans and other Christians around the world will achieve dominance somehow in Chinese culture through Christianity because they know it's the thing about America that's so different from China. They want the benefits of Christianity, but they don't want the Christianity itself because their God is communism. And they can't have two competing factions there because Christianity will win out hands down over communism. I mean, communism is totalitarianism and its ownership of your, your government owns you. You're a slave to the state. Anyone would want to be freed from that. So it's very sad. Very, very sad that they're having to go through this. Um, and I told you about them removing the expressions of faith, the crosses that were hanging on Christians' homes. Imagine living in a country where you put a cross on your home and the government told you to take it off. You know, here in America, it would be your homeowners association would tell you that the cross is not one of the approved symbols or colors that are permitted on the outside of your residence by the homeowners association. In China, it's the government. <laughs> To God be the glory. We know the end of this story. I'm excited about the end of this week, and we're moving there. Today's Tuesday. Tomorrow will be Wednesday. I'll be back with you with more Stacy on the ride here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And our guest is Carol Clemens, I think. So be with you then. God bless, and good night from the heartland. <laughs>